With that in mind, open with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 14. Uh, we're going to talk through the denial of Peter, Peter denying Jesus. Interestingly enough, a lot of commentators don't spend much time um, digging into this. It's just, uh, it seems to be treated um, as a given scenario. But I think in entering into the failure of Peter in this moment, gives us a glimpse into knowing Jesus better and in and through that failure, understanding what Jesus and who Jesus is in the midst of our failure. I often tell people, if you've never failed, I don't trust you. And the reason I say that is not because there's anyone who's never failed, but if people are not aware of their failures, they're that grossly unaware of their own sin, it makes me nervous to know and trust that person. So there's really two types of people, though, when trouble comes our way, right? There's those who will draw near in our lives and those who will flee, right? And we worship a Jesus who draws near, but in the moment of need, everyone around him, they fled. And Peter is not unique in that fleeing. He's not the only one who fled, but there is a unique nature that we have to see in Peter's story that's unique from the other disciples, and so the main point this morning is this, denying Jesus leads to isolation and condemnation. So if you're looking for a warm fuzzy at the end of February, denying Jesus leads to isolation and condemnation. I want us to understand that. I want us to sit in that. And the issue that we're comparing or juxtaposing is the difference between denying and trusting we're either going to deny Jesus or we're going to trust Jesus. And there are macro denials, which we'll see, a general rejection of Jesus. And then there are opportunities of trusting Jesus in macro and micro ways. And so I want to experience it and I want us to read through those lenses as we enter into this text today. And we're going to back up and get a running start just in Mark 14 looking at Peter. We can go back through the whole gospel of Mark throughout the gospels and we can notice that Peter is the premier leader of the disciples. It's pretty clear how that's laid out, often thought to be the oldest amongst them, the one that is the spokesperson, the one who leads out part of the inner circle of Jesus. And um, he has, I mean, if you look at his, his track record up to this point in the narrative of Jesus's ministry, He's the only guy that got out of the boat. I know people are like, oh, he lacked faith and started drowning. There's 11 other jokers still in the boat, right? So I like Peter. Sometimes I resemble Peter. Other times I'm opposite. I'm like the other 11, the ones that we forget those names. I identify with those people as well. But look with me back in Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 26. And this is right after the Lord installed or instituted the Lord's Supper. It says this, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Interestingly enough, this is just a little side note for you Bible nerds. He doesn't say, hey, I'll meet you back up in Israel Right or in Jerusalem. He doesn't say, hey, we'll meet back in Jerusalem. Um, he says, we're going to meet back in Galilee. The interesting part there is probably Jesus is making a point that after this apparent defeat, I'm not going to show back up because they're still at this point, remember, they're thinking of a, a warrior king that's going to come overthrow the Roman Empire. 
And so he leads them back to where they're from because, one, he knows where they're from and where they're going to return. And number two, to make a point, I believe that he's not coming back to overthrow the immediate kingdom at hand. And Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. I hope he said that in private. I mean, Rick, Angus, Robert, John, can you all imagine an elders meeting if Angus was like, look, they might all fail, but I'm not as dumb as them. We'd probably laugh about it because we were all like, no, dude, you're going to fail too, right? But ultimately, it's that, it's that moment where Peter would stand up and he's like, even if all, that, all of them, they go away and they deny you, I'm not going to. I'm in. I'm 100% in. As the Proverbs says, pride comes before destruction, a haughty spirit before the fall. And Jesus said to them, verse 30, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But Peter said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And then there's a note, and they all said the same. So here's the picture. Same chapter, same day. I will never deny you. These suckers might. I won't. And the rest of the guys are like, yeah, yeah, me either. Me either. Well, we saw what happened when he was arrested. They all fleed. One dude, naked. His clothes came off. He ran away naked in his shame. And so we pick up in verse 53. Now, I want to pick up the trial where I preached from yesterday. If you missed last week, you can go back on iTunes or the website and either listen to or watch the video from the sermon. But I want to pick up here as a running start because it shows Peter's lead up to this place of falling. And they led Jesus to the high priest and the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but, they, uh, uh, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple and that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. Ego, I me. I am. A declaration of deity, a declaration of I am God, I am him, I am Messiah. But he didn't just leave it there. there, There's no more mystery. He says, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. No mystery, no parable, a declaration. I am God. You have no authority over me except for the authority given to you. I am seated at the right hand of the Father. I will come back and judge the living and the dead. No decision made by this court, which is being handled and gathered illegally, 
But no decision here really is any true decision at all, either for God or really from you. And the high priest tore his garments in rage and said, what further witness do we need? You've heard this blasphemy. So either Jesus is God and is rightfully declaring that he is God, or he's lying and blaspheming. These people were denying Jesus and rejecting the truth of who he is, the nature of who he is, so much that the the, the leader of this group, of the court, ripped his clothes, declared blasphemy, And he says, well, what is your decision? And they all condemned him to deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, prophesy. And the the guards received him with blows. So they began beating Jesus, silencing Jesus, squashing Jesus, denying Jesus. They were verbally denying him. They were proactively denying him. They were beating him. As opposed to what Peter said, he said, I will never deny you. Even if all the others go away, I will not. And so we pick up with Peter in verse 66. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you are with the Nazarene Jesus. So you might be wondering, why is this servant girl talking to a man? And servants or slaves in that time and place When they were under the authority of a high ruler or someone with political clout, they had a lot of worth and value. She was likely a doormaid or someone that handled the entrances and exits into this place. And so her going up and talking to Peter is not some shocking thing. It's actually a place of authority. But she goes up to him, having likely recognized him from the temple courts, saying, wait a minute, you were, weren't you with the Nazarene? And it says, but he denied it, saying, I neither know know nor understand what you mean. So Peter's first opportunity to I will never deny you or leave you is I don't know what you're talking about. I don't understand what you're talking about. Nothing. I don't know. I don't understand. What are you what are you saying? I have no idea what you're talking about. This is first denial. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed, number one. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. She began pressing in. "This, This man is one of them, but again he denied it. Strike two. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not with him. Verse 70, but again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you are one of them, for you are Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. Invoking a curse isn't like emphatically cussing. I know the way some people, you know, kind of are trying to be progressive with the scriptures that Peter started throwing like street slang and curses. This isn't cuss words. This is saying things like, if I'm not telling you the truth, put me to death. 
I swear on my life, I don't know him. Moments before, to Jesus, he was saying, I will never deny you. And Jesus might have said, look, before the rooster crows twice, you'll deny me once, you'll mess up. I don't know about you, there's been times where I've said something and I've had to go back and correct myself. If I feel embarrassed or exposed or concerned, I'll, I'll, no, I I didn't do that. And then I'll have to go back usually to my wife and say, yes, I ate the last of the Girl Scout cookies. Who's going to blame me? Thin mints, right? Amen? Even maybe blaming my daughters. I saw Braylon with chocolate on her mouth. Maybe a second time, you want to you know, hold your ground and not give up. But in the third time, he began invoking, I swear on my life. I don't know him. And immediately, that word introduced again, back into Mark's narrative, the rooster crowed a second time. He emphatically, wholeheartedly, putting his life on the line not to save Jesus. He didn't put his life on the line to save Jesus. He put his life on the line to save himself. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Immediately he broke. In Luke's account, at the end of Luke's account, he says, and he wept bitterly. Let's unpack denying Jesus a little bit. The first thing is this, denying Jesus can be proactive. Outright rejection It can be aggressive. It can be intentional. The mob that we saw at the hearing for Jesus, the illegal trial of Jesus, was proactively seeking to condemn him. They were denying Jesus proactively, aggressively, intentionally. They were looking to stop him. They were looking to silence him. They rejected who he was. They rejected what he stood for. They rejected his very message. And in rejecting him, they were rejecting God. We also see Judas who proactively denied Jesus by selling him for some silver. Going to these people, selling him out for money. That was a proactive denial, a rejection of who he was. And I think it it, it can be healthy to an extent to allow our curiosity to ask why would Judas do that? And we could come up with some theories. Jealousy. Maybe he realized that he wasn't going to get wealthy and powerful from following Jesus. Maybe he just didn't believe him the entire time. But for whatever the reason, Judas proactively, aggressively denied Jesus. There are people who are proactively opposed to Jesus and his kingdom today. Denying Jesus before I was saved by God and rescued out of sin that leads to death, I was opposed to Jesus. I would deny Jesus. I would try to cause other people who trusted in Jesus to doubt Jesus. 
And I know some of your stories and some of you were exactly the same way. Proactively rejecting and denying Jesus. While I believe that is true for Judas, I'm not certain that it's as clear that it's that way for Peter. The second thing I want to point out is this, denying Jesus can be reactive or impulsive, unintentional or passive. Now our apathy might be a denial of Jesus, but it's not the same as yelling, crucify him, crucify him. It can be a reaction. It could be an exposed moment where we don't acknowledge Jesus, we deny him. We're either trusting Jesus or we're denying Jesus. And so as we look at this denial of Peter, I don't know about you, I, I don't like going into hard situations. I know you're probably thinking, Casey, you're a pastor. Like relationally hard situations, death, chronic illness, like I'm not like, man, here's another trauma or tragedy I can run into and, and be a pastor. That's usually when it feels exposed that I, I don't have the goods. I don't really know what to do. And Jesus beckons us to show up and to hold on to what's true and to trust Jesus and appoint people to Jesus. And you notice that when things are going well in your life, people from all over will show up. We saw that in Jesus' ministry. When he's healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out demons, standing up to the religious bullies, feeding tons of people, he had an entourage. When Jesus was being held at account for what he was claiming and being denied by other people, everyone split. And see, Jesus enters into those hard places, enters into that denial. So, I mean, let's be honest. Peter was in a highly stressful situation. He was there perhaps to support a man, or at least out of curiosity, to be near a man that he loved and followed. But when he saw the reaction of the mob, he did not want to get tied into that mess. The messianic warrior king was not showing up in power, but rather moving quickly towards condemnation. And so Peter reacted by denying. But what reactive denial reveals, it happens when we value something else higher than we value Jesus. And at that moment, I think it could be fair to argue that Peter was valuing his own safety in his own life, over the truth of, of God. And so as he was entering into that denial and reacting in that denial, he was valuing himself over God's kingdom. The thing that Jesus was promoting even more than his own glory was the glory of God and the kingdom of God. And so to acknowledge and affirm Jesus is to acknowledge and affirm the Father in heaven and to acknowledge the true king of the universe. But in that moment of self-preservation, Peter denied him. Reactive denial also reveals where faith is lacking or is limited. 
You and I have limitations of our faith, even though the Holy Spirit resides within us as followers of Jesus. I don't know about you, there are times where I reactively deny Jesus, either in my unwillingness to forgive, to hold grudges, to value myself higher than I ought to, to worship and value comfort in things more than I worship our Savior, to chronically worry about things that I believe foolishly are in my control. The denial of Jesus is something we all face. The denial of Jesus is something we all do, even as followers of Jesus. There could be denials that are sins of commission, that we blatantly do something we know is dishonoring to God. But I think most of us are pretty well-behaved Christian people. And so our sin probably is sin of omission, not doing what we know we ought to do because of Jesus being who he says he is. We're denying Jesus. And there's a profound danger in a series of reactive denials, a devaluing or lowering of God's truth and elevating our own truth. And we see this happen when people slip into things like affairs or addictions or apathy or irritability, or anger, or rage, or whatever your sin of choice is, these micro-denials, these reactive denials of knowing what is true, but rather believing and hoping in a lie, these denials are occurring. And so when we look at Peter, and we look at this failure, his denial, there's still much to be learned about faithfulness here. The first thing we learn about faithfulness is this, our faithfulness is not the ultimate hope. God's faithfulness is. Jesus told Peter, you will deny me three times before the rooster crows twice, and since you're going to fail, I'm going to give up. Jesus remains faithful even when everyone else was faithless. So the hope of faith is less about your ability to muster up feeling of belief and more about holding on for dear life and the faithfulness of our Jesus. And so we can begin asking that question, am I trusting Jesus or am I denying Jesus? Christian consumerism caught up to that several years ago, created these little bracelets that look very cheap because they were, and it said WWJD. And then we had a copycat called the frog bracelet fully rely on God. Yes, we worship the creator of the universe, and that's the best we could come up with. What would Jesus do? Fully rely on God. Jesus, take the wheel. Know this, if you're not pursuing and following after Jesus, you will be prone to denial. If you're not orienting yourself before the person of God, Submitting to the word of God, consistently gathering with the people of God, denial will be your posture. And we move from denial to negotiation, or we move from denial to self-salvation. Third thing is this, denying Jesus can and often is devastating. But denying Jesus can be and often is 
devastating. Judas, after he denies Jesus, after he goes and sells him out, goes and tries to return the money and and tries to make things right. And when that didn't work, he took matters in his own hand and sought justice and not mercy. He hung himself. Denying Jesus is often devastating. Notice I did not say irreparable, but it's devastating. We don't think through the consequences of micro-denials and macro-denials. We don't think through the proactive way, am I trusting Jesus or am I trusting myself? We live short-sightedly and we, we love to believe our own spin and, and bind our own narratives. And so we're sitting here denying Jesus. And so Judas, trying to make things right for himself, went and sought justice on his own and hung himself. We see Peter, as opposed, begin to deny Jesus, remembering what Jesus said, and look what he did. He acknowledged his flaws to the point of weeping bitterly. Doesn't mean he wiped it up or cleaned it up or made it all better immediately, but he began to weep bitterly. And in weeping bitterly, it shifted perspective. One man hung himself, another man was broken. And although Peter didn't, you know, we would say, hey, maybe Peter should have followed this, okay, right? I mean, because we love doing this in American church, right? So you weep bitterly, then you pray a prayer, and you talk to an elder, and you fill out a card, and you go through these steps of reconciliation and restoration. No, no, he just wept. And I don't even know post-resurrection if he was even fully able to believe But perhaps his weeping was the first step of faith. He told me I would do this. I did this. I failed. What he said was true. Judas hung himself. He did not believe in the person and work of Jesus. Peter wept bitterly. And evidence shows from that point forward that as much as he was able by God's help, he did believe Jesus. When we find ourselves in these positions of do I believe or do I deny, it's not a a one-time thing. And I think that's what's been harming the church, the punctiliar reaction to the gospel, that one moment. Was there a date and time where you prayed the prayer? You prayed the prayer and it's like like pass or fail. And, 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 And praying the prayer for many people, was the end of it. Oh, I mean, we just, you know, are celebrating and mourning the loss of Billy Graham, celebrating for him as he is now clearly with our king. Sad because a huge figure and man of God that was used by God is gone. But walking forward at a crusade or walking forward or to the side to a pastor at church isn't the end of the journey, it's the start. It's that moment of denying yourself, taking up your cross and saying, I'm gonna follow Jesus. And then it's a journey of denying and believing and denying and believing and being restored and being carried and being restored and being carried and then failing and growing forward. And the question I ask in the midst of your denial is, is God leading you towards deeper faith in him, the answer is yes. 
For God uses all things for good for those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. Not just the flashy good stuff that we'll testify about and post on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and Snapchat if that, if that company survives. Your failure and your denial is an opportunity for the spotlight of glory to be shown in God's faithfulness and not your own. That doesn't mean, shall we go on sinning so that grace might abound all the more? I, I quoted this verse last week in Romans 6. By no means. That's a, that's a wrong perspective. For the man struggling with lust and looking frequently on his computer or his phone or whatever, Jesus is saying, trust me. Deny yourself, trust me. For the man or woman who is unable to forgive, Jesus is saying, I paid for your unforgiveness on the cross. Trust me. Because when we're not forgiving, we're denying. Trust him. One of the main statements of the Lord from creation to his return is, trust me. And beginning with our lack of trust is a profession of faith by confessing we don't trust. Believe and be saved. Repent, believe, and be saved. Saved from what? Saved from your denying. Saved from the condemnation of your denial. Saved from the consequence of sin, which is death. Not only in this life, but in eternity in hell. Turn from your sin. Stop your denying and trust in Christ. Your perpetuation of your sinfulness, your negotiation with God of your own righteousness, those things are offensive to a holy God, and those things are what put Jesus on the cross. But fortunately, your failure and your denial, Peter's failure and his denial, did not have the final say. If we can begin living our life asking better questions of is this decision, is this thought, is this attitude, is this relationship, profession of faith that I'm trusting in Jesus, or are these things denial of Jesus? And here's the deal. If we don't know him that well and don't spend time in what matters to him, his word, here's what's, what's going to happen. You're going to make things up. So when we're telling you, learn to study the Bible, get a Bible you can read, begin to cherish the word of God, it's not to make you religious Pharisees. Everyone's so scared of becoming a Pharisee, and their, their solution is not doing anything religious. I can fall into that, that logic a little bit, but it's flawed. The way you prevent yourself from being a Pharisee is you enjoy God through his word and you do so in community, not affinity. If there's not one person in your community group that you have to pray before you go to endure with, then I'm not sure you're experiencing biblical community. I know I'm that for my community group. So I'm like, well, sometimes. But if you're not with people that are maybe just a bit more conservative or a bit more liberal than you, If everyone thinks just like you and you're just kind of getting a congratulation group that makes you feel better about life, then make sure you're not creating an affinity group that's idolatry. Now, if you can be in a good group that you're like, hey, we accept each other's differences, we're mature, we love God, we're springing each other towards love God, and we want to grow in our maturity so that we can be in ministry, then awesome. 
But if you're in an affinity group that just you go to feel better, you're in a support group, not a biblical community. And that may be how it has to start, but that's not the end goal. The goal of community in Hebrews 10 is to spur one another on towards love and good deeds, consequential faith. Jesus was in a group of men that all denied him, that were knuckleheads, that were vying for position, that had their mommy ask for position. I mean, James and John's mom, right? She showed up and said, hey, Jesus, can my sons sit at your right and your left hand? Their mom. Dude, can you imagine that, Jordan? If your mom and dad showed up and they were like, hey, Pastor Casey, uh, I think Jordan can be your executive pastor. Get up on that meal train. That's weird, right? Yeah. That's weird. But that's the disciples. Those are the guys. That's his crew. And they all denied him. They all rejected him. And they all went. Now Jesus remained faithful even when they were faithless. Their faithfulness or lack thereof wasn't what perpetuated Jesus ultimately to the cross. Jesus accepted God even when ultimately when he was on the cross, God denied Jesus by becoming opposed to the point of pouring out his wrath on his own son as a substitute. A couple takeaway questions just for you to be thinking through. In what areas of my life or my thought patterns or whatever am I denying Jesus? And I want to point you back to the empty grave and to the restoring Lord who brings his people back? In what ways is our family preaching a false gospel with our actions? In what ways are we denying Jesus? In what ways are we trusting Jesus? Where can we trust Jesus more? And your first inclination is going to be, what can we do? Here's what you can do. Repent and believe. Because most of us, right, we want to fix it. Like, we are walking in denial, so we need to have a family devotion morning and evening. Um, we're going to, you know, listen to Christian music only in the car. We're going to watch bad Christian music uh, movies on, on, on TV, no, no real movies. We're, we're going we're gonna to go into this, like, safe mold of faithfulness. No, no, no. In order to grow in faithfulness, we repent and we believe in Jesus, who is faithful. And as we're near to Jesus, who is faithful, we trust that he will lead us towards faithfulness. And in trusting that he's leading us towards faithfulness, he'll begin by the power of his spirit in the context of community to illuminate his truth and illuminate your life to understand what should stay and what should go. I wish I could say Peter denied Jesus one time or three times in one occasion, but we see in Galatians that Paul had to confront Peter for acting like a racist. So while this does have bearing on salvation, a perpetual unbelief of Jesus is a denying and rejecting of the Holy Spirit. It's blaspheming the Spirit because the Spirit declares that Jesus is Lord. And when we deny and reject that, we are walking then in permanent blasphemy and rejection to the point of death. And so when I say denying Jesus leads to isolation and condemnation, and denying Jesus can be devastating, it's absolutely true. But devastation has been occurred through the devastation of Jesus on the cross, that by the power of the resurrection, the devastating consequence of denial does not any longer have to have the final say. And by God's grace, in many instances, it does not have the final say. 
But when we boil things down, as we begin to live our lives, as we begin to view the lens of the gospel in all areas of life through those lenses, we begin to ask better questions. Am I denying or am I trusting Jesus? Am I leaning into what his promises are or am I creating my own? Do I view God in a transactional way or am I engaging with him in a relational way? Am I believing in my own deeds and activities to make God's pleasure in me complete or am I trusting in the complete work of Jesus for God's, for God's salvation and satisfaction with me? As we begin to engage those questions and press into those questions, we begin to ask better questions of trusting or denying. Because denying Jesus leads to isolation and condemnation. And some of you are leading a life maybe of duplicity that looks one way on the outside and on the inside there's unbelief or lack of faith or deep dark sin that you're unwilling to repent of. And I'm calling you out in the name of Jesus to turn from your sin, come out of the darkness into the light. Some of you here it may be unbelief in Jesus. You don't believe. I'm calling you in the name of Jesus to change your thinking and change your direction away from running from God to running towards God. Some of you have tasted and seen that God is good, but your emotional state or physical state or circumstances in life have snuffed that out. I get that. I understand that. Especially earlier on in my faith during series of depression, I doubted Jesus and I believed myself. And God in his kindness through his people by the power of his word and the goodness of his spirit led me out of denial to trust. Allowed me to value less my feeling and more the truth. So you're not alone in this situation or this season, but I encourage you, Christ is faithful, run to him. If you're walking with Jesus and you believe that since you have the the basics down that you're not denying Jesus, ask God in his kindness to reveal himself to you so that in comparison of who he actually is, the dark spots of our faith and the broken parts of our belief is exposed so that we might turn to him and be restored. God's not done with you yet. He wasn't done with Peter yet. Although in this situation it was sad, it was devastating, it was harmful, As we know in Peter's story, that wasn't the final say. But we must acknowledge and understand the truth that denying Jesus leads to isolation and condemnation. If you're a follower of Jesus and you're walking in denial of Christ, turn back. If you don't yet know Jesus, but you realize you need to, trust him. And if you're pursuing after Jesus, but you're just content with where you are and you're kind of stagnant in your faith, ask him to show you where you're denying him and ask him for trust, the ability to believe. He's faithful. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for Jesus. And Lord, we thank you that you remain faithful even when we're faithless because you cannot deny yourself. And Father, I, I admit with my brothers and sisters here that we all live at times maybe proactively denying you or reactively denying you, but denying you all the same. And Father, some folks here may be denying you in small ways that are leading towards devastation and destruction. I pray, Jesus, that in your mercy that your spirit would bring conviction and repentance. Father, we need you. We pray that your light would shine brightly. Your truth would be profound. Our lack of faith would be 
bolstered by your faithfulness. And Lord, we ask for your help. Father, as we continue this journey to the cross and ultimately to the celebration of your resurrection, I pray that you would stir our hearts and our affections for Jesus, that as we approach Easter, that we would be increasingly mindful of those around you who are living in denial of your truth, Lord, that by your power, um, you would draw us to partnership with you in prayer, Um, Lord, seeing your work and enjoying your glory. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.